Thank you for being in the house of the Lord today. Thank you for worshiping with us. Welcome to Alpine. It is great to have you with us this morning. I know maybe some of you made a New Year's resolution to get back to church. So if you're here for the first time in a while or maybe for the first time ever, thank you so much for being with us. We're excited that you're here. And I want to welcome all of you that are watching on our online service this morning. Thank you for tuning in. It's really our hope that we can help you pursue God today. Uh, my name's John Bellis. I'm the lead pastor up at the Alpine Logan campus. And then about once every month, I get the opportunity to, to teach another Alpine campus. And I'm excited to be here today and excited to dig into God's Word with you as we continue on in our series where we're exploring the Gospel of Mark. Now, today we're in the second week of that, and last week we set up the series by introducing you to the book, to its author, and to its original audience. And we saw that Mark is a very fast-paced book. There's a lot of action in it. it. It focuses on the deeds of Jesus. And we only covered the first verse last week. So if you missed, you're not that far behind. You can jump right in and catch up with us. And we're going to do a few more verses than that today. Today we're going to look at verses 2 through 8 in Mark chapter 1. So if you want to turn there in your Bible or go there on your Bible app, and you will see that these verses are all about John the Baptist. So who is John the Baptist? When you hear the name John the Baptist, what comes to mind? You think of a guy out in the desert eating grasshoppers? Maybe a scraggly beard and, and wild hair? You know, I've always had kind of a special admiration for John the Baptist because to me he is the epitome of someone who is comfortable in their own skin. He knew exactly who he was. And he knew exactly what God's calling on his life was. And he didn't let anything else get in the way of that. Now, I'm sure I don't do that nearly as well as he did, but that's always been important to me. Like, I want to be known as a guy who knows who he is in Christ. And who knows what my calling is. And who doesn't try to impress people that I'm something special or that I'm something that I'm not. Then there's also kind of a connection I have with the name of John the Baptist. I grew up in rural Florida. I grew up going to a Southern Baptist church. And so when I moved to Utah, I went to a high school that only had three students in the whole high school who weren't part of the predominant religion here. So I quickly got the nickname John the Baptist from some of my teammates <laughs> on the football team. And then John the Baptist also almost got me kicked out of vacation Bible school. When I was a young child, I went to a vacation Bible school at another church that was another denomination because a friend had invited me, and the teacher was reading a passage about John the Baptist, and she kept saying, John the Baptizer. Now, I didn't know anything about tact and humility at, at that time, so I couldn't take any more. Finally, I blurted out, you mean John the Baptist? And that didn't go over too well in that little Methodist church. So. But as we get into this passage, it doesn't really matter what I think about John the Baptist, I do think we should consider what Jesus thought about him. This is what Jesus says about John the Baptist in Matthew 11. He says, John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth of all who ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Jesus confirms that John the Baptist is the one who was prophesied about in the Old Testament that would come and prepare the way for the Messiah. And we see in Mark's gospel, he also makes that connection to that Old Testament prophecy. 
So as we dig into the text this morning, I want you guys to think about the following question. What is God doing in your life to prepare you to encounter Jesus? I would imagine the new year has already been full of surprises for some of you. There are things going on that you don't understand what is happening. And I would just encourage you to consider that maybe God is using those things to help you encounter Jesus. So let's jump in to Mark chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. It says, It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. Now when we read a, a voice shouting in the wilderness, we might assume that that's strictly because John the Baptist didn't teach in the synagogues and he hung out in the wilderness. He hung out in the desert. But for the Jewish people, the word wilderness had a history behind it. There was a, a context to it. So when the Israelites were freed from Egypt, they spent 40 years in the wilderness before they were able to enter the promised land. And so for the Jewish people, wilderness was synonymous with disobedience and with discipline. It shouldn't have taken them 40 years to wander in the desert. The journey should have only been a little less than two weeks. But because of their disobedience and because of their lack of faith, they spent 40 years in the wilderness. And as they were getting ready to finally enter the promised land, Joshua said this about their wandering in the wilderness. Joshua 5, 6. The Israelites had traveled in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died. For they had disobeyed the Lord. And the Lord vowed He would not let them enter the land He had sworn to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. In a sense, that time in the wilderness was also a time of purification. God needed to do some things in the hearts of the Israelites before they could enter the promised land. They needed to see the consequences of their disobedience. Because there would be consequences if they disobeyed the Lord once they entered the promised land. And if you know anything about the story of the Israelites, you know that they did in fact disobey God over and over and over again once they entered the promised land. And eventually, they had to face the consequences because of that. In fact, as they were experiencing some of those consequences, the prophet Isaiah spoke about the coming Messiah, and he spoke about this person who would prepare the way for him. We read about that in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. Isaiah says, listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. So now we fast forward to the time of John the Baptist and we see that Israel is still in the wilderness. At least spiritually. Now they've, they've returned from exile. They're in Israel again. But spiritually, they're in the wilderness. They, they were all about religiosity. They were all about obeying the rules on the outside, but inside their hearts were still rebellious. Inside, many of them were apathetic about their relationship with God. And they again needed a time of purification. 
So God sent John the Baptist to help prepare the way for the coming Messiah. See, as a nation, they weren't honoring him. In a lot of ways, it reminds me of our country right now. We have a a lot of people who are Christian by tradition, but they don't really have a relationship with Jesus. They're not really pursuing him. They're not allowing him to be the authority in their life. It's more of a cultural identity like it was with the nation of Israel. And I would submit that even that cultural identity is shrinking every day in our country right now. See, God had been paving the way for Jesus for centuries, all the way back in the time of Isaiah. But now that Jesus' ministry is imminent, he's going to send a special messenger to prepare the way for the Lord. He's going to send someone to level the mountains and hills. He's charged to straighten out the curves and smooth out the rough spots. That sounds like a lot of work. That sounds like it could be painful, especially if it's in your heart that he's leveling the mountains and the hills, that he's smoothing out the rough spots. Think about the power and the force and the friction that has to be used to do those types of things. I remember a couple of years after I moved up to Cache Valley, they started doing construction on Sardine Canyon to turn that into a four-lane highway. When I first moved up there, this is how old I am, it was just a two-lane with like one passing lane. And you'd get stuck behind a truck, man, and you were there forever. But when they were dynamiting, they'd close the entire canyon. You couldn't even drive through it. You had to go all the way around through Tremont. And that's how much power and force and friction was going on to level those hills to fill in those valleys, to straighten those curves. Now, John the Baptist wasn't leveling literal mountains, obviously. He wasn't straightening out curves in the dirt roads of his time, but he was preparing a way in the spiritual wilderness that the nation of Israel was stuck in. You know, God does some of his most amazing work in the wilderness. I would imagine in a room this size, some of you feel like you're in the wilderness right now. And again, I would encourage you that maybe God is using that to prepare you to meet Jesus. Or maybe you've met Jesus in the past, but you need a fresh encounter with him. If that's the case, what what mountains does he need to level? What, What boulders need to be cleared in your life? Greed? Pride? Lack of faith? Maybe it's an addiction? I'm not saying that every time we feel like we're in the wilderness, it's because of sin in our lives. It's not. Sometimes it's just because you and I live in a broken world, but sometimes it is. Sometimes we're in the wilderness because of our choices and our disobedience, just like the nation of Israel was. And the Bible teaches us that God disciplines those he loves. So if you feel like you're in the wilderness, let God use that time to level those hills. Let him straighten those curves. Let him smooth out those rough spots. And if you're not in the wilderness, who do you know today that is? Who is in your life that needs someone to prepare the way for them to meet Jesus like John the Baptist did for the Israelites? See, God may not be calling us to be a voice shouting in the wilderness, but I guarantee you God is calling us to be a voice. It might be a whispered prayer. It could be a gentle conversation where you speak the truth in love. Maybe it's a thought-provoking question you ask your friend or family member. Maybe it's an invitation to a Sunday service or to a small group or to a mentoring relationship. 
But God is definitely calling us to be a voice. We have access to the greatest news ever told. Who do we know in our lives that needs to hear that? How can we be messengers? Because as we see from the story, God uses all types of messengers. John the Baptist was a unique messenger who boldly spoke God's message. He didn't fit into polite circles because he wasn't about himself or his own reputation. Here's what Mark says about him in verse 6. It says, His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. You know, this time of the year, a lot of people do the Daniel diet. I don't know anybody doing the John the Baptist diet. I wonder why that is. (laughs) But John wasn't pretentious at all. He didn't care about looking cool. He didn't care about being popular with the right crowd. His clothes were certainly modest, but there's more to it than just modesty. His clothes were symbolic. So they connect him with another prophet in the Old Testament, with the prophet Elijah. We read about it in the book of 2 Kings. Verse 1-8, it says, They answered him, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. So John the Baptist wore the same kind of clothes that Elijah wore, but there were more similarities than just their clothes. Both of them had a great zeal for God. Both of them stood on truth and called out sin in the political and religious leaders of their day. Both of them were pretty unpopular with the religious leaders. See, John wasn't worried about building his brand. He wasn't worried about positioning himself for the next great job offer that came along. John was all about preparing the way for people to meet Jesus. And like Elijah, John spoke boldly. And his bold truth-telling was not received favorably by the political or religious leaders of his day. John called out sexual sin. In fact, he called out sexual sin that was committed at the highest level of government in his day by King Herod. And because of that, Herod had him arrested and eventually would have him beheaded. John's boldness had consequences. I can't stand up here today and tell you guys that our boldness won't have consequences. It might. But I can tell you it'll be worth it. Here's that story about John in Mark chapter 6. It says, For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. And John had been telling Herod, It is against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. John didn't allow popular opinion or the power of another person to determine what was right and wrong. He stood on God's truth and he called out sin. And he called out sexual sin to the highest level of leadership in the land. We need to stand on God's truth and call out sin as well. Now, I'm not saying we should call out sexual sin more than other sins. We shouldn't, but we shouldn't call it out any less either. And we don't get to cherry pick which sexual sin we want to call out. The reality is that anything outside of the confines of marriage between a man and a woman is sexual sin. That includes pornography. And I know that's not a very popular statement to make. Even in the church, that statement is less and less popular. But God didn't call me into ministry to win any popularity contests. And I don't say that looking down from an ivory tower, guys. I've had my own seasons of wilderness as it relates to that in the past. 
And I want you to know that God's grace and forgiveness are bigger than any mistake you may have made in that area. But if you are living in sexual sin, you need to let God move that boulder out of your life. You need to confess that and let him do something with it. The Jewish people needed a bold messenger. They needed someone to get them out of the complacency that they were experiencing. I'm sure John came off a little edgy sometimes. In spite of that, it said that many came out to see him. And you might think that someone as, a, as eclectic as John the Baptist was and someone who was calling such a stir would become prideful, but John remained humble. John knew he was preparing the way for someone else, someone greater than himself. In fact, he said that multiple times. If you think back to our Experiencing Jesus series that we did for Christmas When the angel Gabriel came and told Zechariah that Elizabeth was going to become pregnant with John, he said that John would have the Holy Spirit even in the womb. That's amazing. See, John knew because of the Holy Spirit it wasn't about him. That from the beginning it was about Jesus. He told the crowd, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. Someone who I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. In that culture, it was the lowliest servant or slave in the house who was responsible to untie the sandals of the household. And John said, I'm not even worthy to do that. There's this really cool interaction between John the Baptist and some of his disciples in the Gospel of John in chapter 3. And we see this scene where Jesus is there and he's baptizing people with his disciples and so is John. And John's disciples come up and say, all the people are going to him. They were mad about it that more people were going to Jesus than John the Baptist. And John says, that's what I told you would happen. It's not about me, it's about him. He must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. Man, what humility. Is that the attitude that you and I have as we follow Jesus? Jesus, I want you to become greater and greater. And I want to become less and less. That was such an opposite of the religious leaders of John's time who wanted to wear the flowing robes and they wanted the seats of honor at the banquets and they wanted people to acknowledge them in the streets. And What about us? Have we allowed the demands of our lifestyle to get in the way of being on mission with Jesus? Are we more concerned about the approval of men than we are about being faithful to what God has called us to do? My prayer for you and my prayer for me is that we would be bold. That we'd be a bold voice just like John the Baptist was. We've talked about the the relevance of the wilderness. We've talked about the messenger. Let's talk about the message now. John prepared the way by calling people to repentance. Turning from a self-directed life to a God-directed life, he challenged people to follow truth rather than tradition. And we see John's message in verses 4 and 5. It says, This messenger was John the Baptist, and he was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. There's a lot of great stuff to unpack in those couple of verses. I want to start with the statement that says, All of Judea, including the people of Jerusalem, went out to see John. 
And you can bet that they had different motivations for going out there. I would imagine many of them went just out of curiosity. They'd heard about this prophet in the wilderness who was preaching about repentance and people are being baptized and they wanted to go out and see for themselves exactly what John was saying and what this was all about. I would imagine some went out to scoff and protest. Anytime you're calling out sin, you're going to have people who are going to, are going to rise up against that, who are going to be frustrated by that. Some probably went out just because everybody else was. Right? We all know people like that. We don't want to be left out. So if that's what the crowd is doing, that's what I'm going to do. But others went because they recognized they were missing something. They recognized that they had this hole in their spirit, that they didn't have this connection with God Almighty, and they longed for that. And they thought maybe by going out and hearing this guy that they would get that back again. Maybe one of those reasons feels very familiar to you today. You might be here out of curiosity. Maybe you're just kind of checking Christianity out and, and you want to see what it's all about. Maybe you're here and you're, you're hoping to poke holes in it. Maybe someone invited you and you just simply didn't want to be impolite, so you let them drag you along. But maybe you're here today because you're missing something. Because you recognize there's something in here that's just not right. You feel that sense of longing that all of us have because we've all been created with this God-sized hole in our heart that only He can fill. Whyever you're here, whatever the reason is, I would submit to you that God is behind it, orchestrating it. That He is drawing you here today because He longs to fill that hole in your spirit. He longs to have a relationship with you. Next it says that John preached that they should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins. I want you to pay attention to the tense of the verbs there. He wanted them to be baptized to show that they had repented. The repentance came before the baptism. We, we don't get baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. They had already turned to God for forgiveness. The baptism didn't bring forgiveness. Now, we're going to dig into baptism in a little more detail in a few minutes because keep in mind this was pre-Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the grave. So our baptism as New Testament believers builds on John's baptism, but it's different. They're not exactly the same. And we see that they talked about repentance. Repent is a pretty churchy word. I doubt any of you hear the word repent outside of the halls and walls of this building, right? We don't hear it in our day-to-day -day life typically. In the Bible, repent had kind of two ideas behind it, two meanings. In the Old Testament, it literally meant to turn around and go the other way. So repent meant I'm going in one direction, I repent, I stop and turn, and I go the other way. In the New Testament, the word that's most often translated repent is the Greek word metanoia. And what it literally means is a changing of the mind. And keep in mind in that culture, mind was more than just how I logically compute things. The mind was like the very center of your being. And so for metanoia, it's saying I used to think about things one way, but now I think about them a different way. I used to have my perspective, but now I have God's perspective. At the very center of my being, something has changed. And those two ideas together form a beautiful picture of biblical repentance. That it starts with a changing in my mind. That I start to say, you know what? I wasn't seeing this right. I'm going to start seeing this God's way. And because I see this God's way now, I'm going to stop and I'm going to turn and go the other way. That was what... John the Baptist was preaching. 
And people responded to this message in droves. Sometimes the best thing you and I can do is to call out sin and encourage people to repent. Now, in our culture, a lot of people would say that's cruel or that's judgmental. It's not cruel to point out someone has a terminal disease, especially when you know the cure. The unloving thing would be not to point it out. The passage also says that John preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented. There's something powerful about proclaiming publicly what God has done on the inside of our lives. And this is one of the ways that our baptism as New Testament believers is is similar to John's baptism. When you and I put our faith in Jesus Christ and we step forward in obedience and baptism, it's not the baptism that saves us. It's not the baptism that changes us. It's to show others what we've done. It's to show others that we've turned It's to show others that we're kind of drawing a line in the sand and we're going a new direction. And I want you to think about the courage it took for those individuals coming out of Judea and Jerusalem to do that. With all the crowds assembled to go out and be baptized and say, you know what, I'm not going to follow tradition anymore. I'm going to follow truth. I'm not going to pretend that I have it all together. I'm going to admit that I have sin in my life that I need to confess and I need God to change me. Think of the consequences they would have faced. They likely were mocked by associates, by friends and family. They could have faced financial consequences in that culture. They could have faced discipline from the religious leaders of the day. It took boldness. For some of you here today, I think that's the step of boldness God is calling you to take. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you're following Him, but you've never been baptized, you've never drawn that line in the sand and said, from here on out, I'm following Jesus, my question is, What's holding you back? Is it fear of ridicule? Is it fear of rejection? Is it fear of a relationship that you know might suffer? And I don't want to minimize that. I know that'd be really hard. But guys, Jesus gave everything for us. We should be willing to give everything for him. So if you have questions about baptism or you want to talk more about it, we'll have leaders after the service. We'd love to have that conversation We'd love to answer your questions. If you have a mentor, I'm sure your mentor would love to have that conversation as well. John then says something in verses 7 and 8 about our baptism as believers. It says, John announced, Someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stop, stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John, again, is pointing all the attention to Jesus. He's saying it's all about him. He says, I baptize you with water, but he is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, keep in mind, John had been filled with the Holy Spirit since he was in the womb. He knew the value of the Holy Spirit. He knew the sweetness of the relationship with the Holy Spirit. He knew the wisdom and conviction he received from the Holy Spirit, and he wanted that for his followers. He wanted them to know that, yeah, I baptize you with water, but the Messiah is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and it's so much better. That's the promise that you and I have when we put our faith in Jesus. That the Holy Spirit actually indwells us. That we are baptized in the Spirit. He takes residence in us. And as we nurture that relationship with the Holy Spirit, we start to see His fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, 
and self-control. No wonder John was so excited about the baptism that Jesus would bring. I want to end with one last passage. John 16, 8. It says, And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The he in this verse is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts us of sin. In fact, if you're here today and you're starting to recognize that that you've gone your own way, you followed your own thoughts, opinions, feelings, and desires of what God has declared to be true, and, and you recognize you need forgiveness, that's the Holy Spirit who is doing that work in you. It's the Holy Spirit who is softening your heart to receive God's grace. It's the Holy Spirit who will open your eyes to the truth that Mark led off his gospel with, that this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And it's good news because through Jesus Christ, you and I can be reconciled to God. We can have all of our sins forgiven and we can have a full and abundant life here on earth and an eternal life with Him in His presence. And if you have questions about that, again, we'd love to answer your questions. We'd love to connect you with someone who could talk more about that. For those of us who, those of us, excuse me, who have already put our faith in Jesus, this is the question I want you to think about this week. How can God use you to prepare others to encounter Jesus? God wants to use you. God wants every single one of us in here who have put our trust in Jesus to be a voice this week. So I'm going to close this in prayer, but God's a big God. He can hear more than my prayer. So I want to encourage you to pray. Ask God this question, God, how can you use me this week? Who do you want me to be a voice to? Let's close in prayer. Lord God, thank you so much for inviting us to help prepare the way for people that we know and love to meet Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for humbling yourself, taking on flesh, living this life that we live, but living it perfectly, doing what none of us could ever do, and then going to the cross and paying the debt that we should have paid. Jesus, we are so grateful. We, we love you. We worship you. We lift your name on high for that. And I just pray for anyone here who has never put their trust in you that today would be the day that your Holy Spirit softens their heart. Today would be the day that they would recognize you're the only one who can fill that longing that they have. You're the only one who can fill that hole in their heart. For those of us that, that you've already done that for, God, I want to be a voice this week. Help us to be bold. And bold doesn't mean shouting necessarily. Again, it could be just a, a simple, gentle conversation. It could be a, a question that we throw out after lunch when we're hanging out with the guys. But help us to be on mission this week. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.